What's going on, Brad? Welcome back. What's happening, man? How you doing? Oh, man, pretty good, pretty good. Well, first thing I want to do is I want to just take a minute to recognize our sponsors. We got uh, Hospitality Heating and Air, Gina Lisa Lucas, um, Gary Samroy at Carolina Motor Works. I want to tell him thanks for the facility. And then also Haven Miller State Farm, all your insurance needs on East Main Street. And then also Spikes, Pork Skin, and uh, Boiled Peanuts. So, Brad, what we're going to jump into today, we got a couple people in, and we're going to continue our series talking about some mental health issues and tomorrow needs you and, and, and to keep building what we talked about with the girls last week. Right. So today we got in here, we have Chris Cathers and Corey Avant have come in to talk to us a little bit. And, Chris, if you want to just go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your whatever you want to talk about, your background and exactly what you got going on. Yeah, first off, I just want to thank you both for having me. I appreciate you guys uh, having me out, Brad, Tony. So <clears throat> it's a little bit of a long background, so I'm going to try to condense it a little bit just for the you know audience. We can kind of get a little bit in deeper as we go. But yeah, my name is Chris Cathers. Um, I kind of came out of high school. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, Philadelphia, about 45 minutes north in a small town in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Was kind of raised by my father who was in law enforcement for about 40 years he was in the military from 60 to 64 kind of the early era of vietnam and then from there he went on to be a borough um police uh, he was in the borough police department in uh, doylestown township as a canine handler first and then he moved on to about 20 plus years um as a sheriff up in uh, Pennsylvania. So he had a kind of profound impact on me as far as my, my willingness and uh, kind of led me to join the military right out of high school. So I was an Army, uh, U.S. Army Special Forces Green Beret out of high school and got out right before 9-11. Um, we were doing a lot of foreign internal defense or FID missions, which wasn't really what I wanted to do um, NSF, you know, uh, it was prior to 9-11, obviously. So I got out in the fall and went to PA school to become a physician assistant. Um, so I was in the biology pre-PA pre program and I was getting pretty close to graduating. I had a couple courses left. 9-11 um, happened actually as I was going to school uh, early in the morning and I knew right as right away once that uh, aircraft burned in, into the first tower that it was a terrorist attack and you know I right immediately just started I called my uh, unit back up and got talked out of going back into SF um, and I uh, was talking to my team sergeant at the time and because historically we had Panama Grenada and the first Gulf War they were over fairly quick so he kind of talked me out of it initially just because of the in-processing and how long it would take. So <clears throat> I, I went through a vetting process. My buddy, Ron Griffin, was uh, overseas at the time. We went through the Special Forces Q course together. We were bo both in the uh, in third group together, and we were in the same battalion. So he called me up, just gotten out, and he called me up and said, hey, man, the agency's recruiting. Do you have any interest, man? Because he was already in Afghanistan at the time. And uh, I said, hell yeah, brother, like, what do I got to do? So I went through a, a vetting process um, that took, it was a pretty long process, about over a year. So I was still in school. And as soon as um, 
I finished the vetting process. I was one of the first 10 GRS agents in, um, uh, well, since probably the Phoenix program in Vietnam. So I helped stand that pro um, project, the, the, the team up with about 10 dudes who went through that vetting process and we flew into Iraq um, right after the invasion in 2003. So that was pretty much my formative years was spent between working for OGA or the agency and SF. <clears throat> and then I, I got out, I guess, uh, around 2006, I started transitioning out. I spent uh, a year in Iraq in 03, um, then 04, and then I went to Afghanistan the end of 04 into 05. And then I spent about a year in Israel after that. And then I transitioned uh, from there to a defense company. Got my business degree, started working on my MBA, and my, my buddy uh, John Zinn started up with my buddy Ron again. Uh, they started up an armored vehicle company called Indigen Armor out in California to provide low-profiled armored vehicles. Um, so uh, luckily for me, I was able to transition into that. And from a business perspective, I, I kind of switched over to defense contracting for over a decade from that point forward. So, you know, from there, um, I got back into private security for the last four to five years. Um, I kind of missed gunslinging and really got the itch to go back and do that as long as I could possibly do it. And then in 19, 2019, about three years ago, I was diagnosed with a fairly advanced form or very advanced form of uh, chondrosarcoma, which is a bone cancer. And, um, yeah, so from there, it's just been a lot of surgeries. Uh, right now, I'm stage four. Uh, I've been stage four for over a year, and there's not a lot of treatment options that are available for chondrosarcoma. It's uh, less, sarcomas, what I have is, um, it's about 1% of cancers are sarcomas, and I have a subset of that called chondrosarcoma. So it's about less than 1% of 1% of all cancers. So it's fairly, obviously very rare, about 200, 300 people a year get this in the United States. So um, yeah, th so through this whole process, just to kind of wrap it up as far as background, um, yeah, I struggled with PTS for probably the last 12 to maybe 15 years. And I kind of struggled in silence during the process. And large portion of that was the way I was, I was grown up, you know, um, with my father, as far as like my background, you know, men just didn't talk about, you know, issues all that much for one. But, um, you know, I also thought it was going to impact my career and my earning potential. Um, so I kind of like just kind of sucked it up or tried to, but it, I started having problems, like major problems with suicidal ideation, probably around 2010. And then it got to its height in 2011. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't get help until I was diagnosed with chondrosarcoma. That's when I decided when I got my cancer diagnosis, I knew I had to have a clear head. I had to have a fighting mentality to kind of get through what I was going through. So about a year and a half, two years ago, I finally went through and, um, got treatment for uh, PTS. I've been doing it for almost two years and got medicated and went through the whole process and still working on it, but it's progressively gotten better um certainly than even last year so um yeah so that's kind of highlights of my background <laughs> yeah one of the one of the things that that came out of what we talked about last 
week, one guy reached out to Brad. I think he's, I think, was it Texas, Brad? Is that where he reached out to you from? Yeah, Texas. Yeah, and he just said that, you know, it, he listened to all that because one of the things the girls talked about was was how important their parents were. And, and you know, and the thing about it is, is this guy said, you know, I tried to talk to my parents about it a long time ago, and my parents were like, well, suck it up. Go get on the treadmill. You know, go right. work it out. Do what you got to do. But, you know, we're, we're not going to broach that subject. So, and I think that especially in your world, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of factors that drive people away from getting help. You know, you mentioned number one, your earning potential. And, you know, that, that is a critical component. And I think another part that we see is, and I, I, and I think it's a byproduct of it, but I, I also think that guys that get out of the service and guys that especially do what you did, very specific and technical things like that, that, you know, the more of those guys that they can label a disorder or something wrong with them, then, then it, it kind of, it kind of keeps you into a very small sect of society and, and drives you to that being lonely and to not wanting help. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as that is, it's a really good point because that's what I guess in January this year, um, about, I guess it was probably last summer. That's when I knew I had stage four for sure because things presented in my lungs, right? So I kind of ha I had this, this this inkling and I started doing research online, which by the way, if you ever get cancer, don't do Google searches because it freaks you out, right? So, <laughs> so I started looking online and I was like, well, I'm clearly stage four. And I thought maybe I had a year to li live at that, that point um, because there was no treatment available. So in January this year, I contacted my um, producer, Daniel, for our documentary. I started calling a bunch of people, reaching out, and I told, I, I found Daniel uh, Beatty. He's a wonderful dude, and he was passionate about the subject matter, and I told him basically what I just told the audience, and I said, hey, man, I'm passionate about the subject because I don't want to sound narcissistic, but uh, I'm, I'm very accustomed to grinding, you know, and I, I like to t tell people I'm a professional sufferer, you know, I just... I do it pretty well, I guess, with a smile on my face. So what I told him, I said, look, I want to make a documentary, not only with my story. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a large part is me telling the situation that I went through with PTS and how I dealt with it. And, so, and the, really the purpose of where I'm getting at is when we started this out, I said, one, I want to raise awareness to veteran suicide. And it's not just veteran suicide. It's first responders, SWATs, uh, paramedics, uh, people in the medical fields but it's just general people and, and, and you know but my background is military so it was easier for me to reach out and get get that done but two I want to destigmatize the subject matter by openly talking about it and it's like hey you got this cool background you know you've done cool things and you know I think just by openly talking about it and creating a documentary where people are seeing me like going through what I've been through um it, it, it's helpful, right? Because then people might start talking openly about it and not, to your point, throwing a label up, you know? And what documentary was it? So we're making a documentary. It's called Brothers Keeper, um, Brothers Keeper Documentary. So um, I just like the term because it was like, you know, it, it was kind of meaningful to me. Like, the reason I'm here right now is because my buddy Ron um, intervened with me in 2011. Um, I was kind of at rock bottom. Just went through a divorce. My buddy died, uh, SEAL Team 3, um, who brought me into the company uh, at Indigen Armor. 
Um, he died unexpectedly at 32 years old, um, was a SEAL. He was my partner in Iraq. So it kind of just, all these big life things nailed me at one time. And um, yeah, so he was kind of my brother's keeper, right? So like he, he had my back and showed up. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it past that one day. Um, but uh, so I think it's kind of meaningful. I also want to provide resources to folks, you know, as far as like when I was going through the, the darkest of times, I, was, I, I, I never Google searched anything. I never reached out to the VA, you know, or whatever the resources are there. I just kind of sat there and just figured I would figure it out by working out, like you said, the treadmill. Right. But the problem with me is I started doing one-a-days, then I did two-a-day workouts, then three-a-day workouts to curb my anxiety and um, try to keep, you know, the demons at bay. But I built up such a tolerance to it, it did nothing. So I started drinking, self-medicating, and it just spiraled from there, you know. And I still think that you go back to it, and I think that a large part of it is is when you talk about the, the disorder part, and, and I think that's driven guys for so long away from trying to get help because the last thing you want to think is I don't have a disorder. You know, I just did everything that I did. And then you also realize that, that when you're able to be labeled with that, it limits you in jobs. It limits you in other things. And I think that's really what's driving and up until what you've done and some other guys have done that have started to change the course of it. That is what's led to the 22 a day because guys are just like, I got to figure this out on my own because I can't be labeled as having a disorder. You know, you, no law enforcement is going to hire you. No, nobody in any, any sensitive thing is going to hire you if you're saying that you have a disorder. Right. And, and for me, when, when things got really, really bad, when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was almost freedom. Right. And, what I encourage other people to do is get help prior to that because I lost 12 years of my life where I was highly successful. I mean, I'm making six figures for that whole time. I've managed to do that and keep a job, but that was a lot of work. It was a lot of extra horsepower and um, mental, you know, anguish during that process. Like what could have I done? You know, what could have I achieved if I had a clear head? But when I was diagnosed, I was like, well, I'm not going to be gunslinging anymore. I'm definitely, you know, I'm, they took my femur out. So, <laughs> right. yeah, so I'm no longer able to, to do the things that I used to do physically. But, you know, there's a trade-off because most people don't, are not successful in battling those demons. And over time, it's just going to wear you down. And uh, then what, what, what good is it? So I encourage people, you know, you, you got to go out and actually talk to somebody. And, um, yeah, now they call it, they go with uh, PTS or post-traumatic stress or PTSI, <clears throat> you know, post-traumatic stress injury versus, you know, PTSD. But I think most people are just nervous of what, what's going to happen. Are they going to Baker Act me? Are they going to take my guns? Because most guys like to, you know, they might be into uh, shooting or whatever or might be part of their livelihood. So that's another level of uh, nervousness I think people encounter. But, um, yeah, I still think things like this. And then, you know, and it, I talked about it like, uh, to Brad a little bit after that UFC fight, when that Patty guy oh, yeah. really spoke Wonderful up and, dude. and, and, you know, things like that, people have no idea what an impact that probably had. And so many people responded to that. Yeah. And, I posted and, it that morning when I saw, I, I watched the UFC fight the, the, the next morning 
and my wife was watching it at the time we were having coffee first thing in the morning because I, I try to keep, keep up a little bit on the, right. on the, on the fighting uh, scene. So when I saw that, I was like, dude, I, I immediately went to a clip through that on Instagram and I, you know, reached out. I might actually re reach out to some of those people because I was like, dude, just little things like that is makes it's like, hey, dude, I'd rather have my, my, my boy or my mate crying on my shoulder than be dead he's going right. to going to his funeral you know and i was like man that's that's powerful stuff he's not thinking about himself at the moment he's right. thinking about actually his friend and and how to prevent those things from happening right. i was like dude that's cool and you talked about you know you had six or seven years of money that most people would kill for mm -hmm. but if you don't have that quality of life and what and what though. you are having to do you yeah. know just the gym and everything that you were trying to do to keep your mind still the money doesn't matter at that point it just really doesn't. Yeah, it was the, the for me. There was always there's sometimes there's a catalyst, right? So like, there wasn't one thing. Some guys will have you can have what's called a moral injury. So whether you could be in law enforcement, you could be a firefighter, you could be in the military. It doesn't matter. You could be a civilian. And a moral injury. What what I learned going through the process. I've been talking to a lot, a lot of smart people, and um, especially on the topic and. I never really heard of a moral injury and I thought it, it was pretty interesting. So if you have a strict moral code, right. Um, which a lot of people do have, and I certainly hold myself to a very high standard when it comes to moral, a moral code. So it could be, you know, you're over in combat. I had a friend of mine who had a, a young girl, um, overseas draw down on him with an AK. She was maybe about 12 years old and he was um, kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. He's like, look, we're not here to kill women and children, but she's a combative. She's aiming a, a rifle at me right now. And he didn't shoot. He drew down on her, and he took a round, almost took his arm off. She got shot in the elbow. And right after that, he had to kill her anyway. So somebody like that, he has a code of ethics. Now he has a daughter about the same age. And then those th thoughts subconsciously start creeping in that you never thought you would think about. You know, it's justified, um, albeit, but it's, you're, you're violating that moral code. It could be somebody watching somebody, not even participating. So, like, say, you know, you're in combat and somebody mutilates a body, cuts an ear off, you know, like back in the day. And as a war trophy and you're standing by witnessing it, you still have issues if you have a if you have a strong moral character and you didn't intervene you can have a, a high level of guilt so that's more guilt based versus pts typically people associate it with flashbacks and things that scare them that's more of a fear-based um issue and like i said i'm no expert on it i just know <laughs> i've been through, through right. talking to a lot of experts and i just thought that was really interesting from my perspective of the difference there's different levels to the game you know right. what call, the causation is so yeah not you know the thing about it is and one of the things that we've talked about and talked to mark about it is you know it's not just relegated to military first responders i mean loss of you know child loss of a loved one all of those things can trigger the exact reaction you know what i'm saying there's a lot of that that correlates now, like you said, your your primary focus is going to be these veterans and those guys because that's who you can relate to. But but any traumatic experience could could be the same thing, and it could go years and years and years, and you can suppress it, and then something happened, and then it becomes overwhelming. 
you know, and it's not always, some people think, well, it's just fireworks. You know, sometimes it has nothing to do with that. It could just, you see, you know, somebody could look like somebody you dealt with. Something could be in a situation that you see that looks exactly like that thing that you've kept suppressed for a long time, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's there. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you, what did you kind of get, what kind of led you, you know, and, and was your kind of motivation on the documentary and you know because it's one thing for you to get help and but then it's another thing altogether to kind of step out because somebody like you who's not a real vulnerable guy you know this puts you in a vulnerable position so to speak because you know you're clearly a private person because you kept that for so long so when you do something like this like the documentary and things like that I know it's not easy so what kind of was that well that's kind of part of the what drove me to do it is one, I just knew how much I suffered. Right. And it was, when I talk about the hardest thing I've ever done is the documentary to date. I mean, I talk about it. Like I tell people it was harder than a special forces selection by far for me because I'm wired to grind and you know, the never quit attitude is just how I was raised. You know, it started when I was a runner in high school all the way through the military. And I was like, man, you know, I've had a gun in my mouth so many freaking times, like hundreds of times. I have no idea how many times I've rehearsed or come damn close, right? And I was like, if I can't figure it out, and I started looking at the statistics, and um, well, one, I knew my life, my, my life expectancy right now is very low. You know, I, I don't know if it's gonna be a year, two years, maybe five if I'm lucky. Um, so that, really drove me I wanted to do I looked at the country right now in the last three years and that was one of the drivers because I when I was going through my cancer you know my, my second surgery was pretty gnarly they took out like three quarters of my femur my hip my right glute my quad and I had to learn how to walk again and being a physical guy that really jacked me up a little bit um so you know I'm watching TV every day and there's this another revelation book, of, you know, there's like another book of revelations on, on TV. And I was like, I don't like what I'm seeing. Well, I don't want to be one of those guys just to complain about, you know, things. I want to actually do something. So the second immediate thought was like, well, I know what I want to do. I want to make a documentary about this. And it goes against everything I was brought up in our community because you're silent professionals. You don't, you know, try to stay away from books, movies, all that stuff. So um, that's kind of what drove me to it. I'm like, if I'm suffering this bad, I know other dudes are suffering way worse, and that's why they're not making it. And I looked at the statistics, and it was like 36,000, nearly 36,000 uh, service members have committed suicide, active duty, or global war of, on terror, terror veterans since 9-11, but we only lost uh, 7,500 combat losses. So it's like four to five times higher. But that doesn't even account for the World War II, Korea. Those numbers are 22 a day. You can add it up. It's oh, like yeah. over 150 to 170,000 people, and it's hard to find statistics on it. So that many people, I was like, this is a rash epidemic. So somebody's got to, like, do something. And the community's always been really good to me. It's a huge part of my identity and, like, you know, I, I'm just passionate about trying to do something for the people that have been good to me. And so that kind of led me to, to jump into it, you know, is those kind of things. Now, how many, now you're a uh, former guys and like, who did you reach out to, to kind of get started? Cause it's not, you know, I could sit here and say, I want to do a documentary, but you still got to be somewhat connected. 
Yeah, it's, it's nerve-wracking for one because I just want to do a good job, right? And, I, you know, look, I'm not Steven Spielberg. I've never made a documentary before. I have no idea, you know, uh, which direction to go. So, I've one, I found a guy who was passionate about it because, to me, it's like we can assemble a team of, you know, the Avengers team, if you will. Um, you know, that's – so we self-funded it initially. So I just leaned on my network, and everybody I called – Literally 100% of everybody, I had one guy that was kind of on the fence. But every single person, whether that was individuals that we interviewed that are veterans that were struggling, I had one guy in the fight. I don't know if he's going to make it or not. He's just bad off. And then um, then I wanted, I wanted to make this inspiring because I'm like, who's going to want to watch a Netflix documentary on a weekend with their wife? You know, hey, let's watch this one on uh, this right. documentary on veteran right. suicide. Right. You know, right. get some popcorn. Right. So it's a bit challenging because it's dark. But for me, I wanted to be inspired. I want to make an inspiring uh, piece through my story, you know. And it's just like, hey, dude, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like, I'm trying to figure it out and do something about it. Because I know there's some guys that are they're struggling. They don't even know where to look or they don't want the help. You know what I mean? They're not ready. You have to be kind of willing to commit. Like anything else, if you want to be successful, you have to fucking commit. You know, right. you have to go in and tackle it head on. And it's kind of easier said than done because here I am, I'm kind of a hypocrite. I waited almost 12 years. Right. So that's part of my cautionary tale for people. I'm like, hey man, yeah, I'm making a documentary on it. I didn't figure it out for 12 years. So if you have family members, it might take a, a bit. But I want to tell people, like, get help quicker, man. And the other thing is, if you're going to go into one of the fields like we're talking about, it doesn't matter. It could be your firefighter, SWAT, police, anything that where you're going to see trauma. It could be an ER nurse, you know. You're seeing things that people don't see that, that frequency. Um, you know, you typically only see it a couple times in your life, and you're seeing it every day. And it's going to have an impact. So instead of being pro uh be proactive and just go hey if i'm going to go into special operations chances are over your career of 20 years or 25 years of doing something like this you're going to have encounter issues and it's better to go get help straight away so it doesn't pile up and then you can't sort what's the root cause of what's bothering it could be a brain injury or it could be something else because like TBI is a good one, right? For NFL football players. Right. I mean, you could be in the NFL. Uh, TBI and PTS, the symptoms overlap. They're all very similar, and it's hard to determine. So for me, I've been blown up uh, several times. I've done combat sports for 20 years, getting punched and kicked in the head. So it, it's hard to discern, like, is it, is it, like, physical? You know, is it actually, like, my brain is not functioning correctly? Or is there something else going on? Like, it's more psychologically based. And a, lot of, and a lot of guys will get out of the military and think that, you know, my outlet is going to be going into either law enforcement, firefighters, whatever the case is, and they think that this is the only thing I'm geared to. And, and they've been able to handle it to a degree. We had a guy that worked with us that he did a couple tours in Afghanistan, real young guy, and didn't really see anything and had a couple calls that it just seemed like every time something terrible happened, he was there. And then it finally came to a head with where we were. So, you know, there's a lot of guys that think this is the only thing I can do and I'm okay with it. But then things here pile up that trigger it. And then, but you know, thankfully he was, he came forward and we talked to it and got him to EAP and got him some help and talked about it. And it was just one of those things that, you know, it, no telling how long he had suppressed 
what he was really dealing with. And then those things just kind of triggered it, even though they're not related. They're not the exact same thing. But seeing things that are outside of your normal is what caused it with him. You know, and so I think that, you know, guys think that I've got to chase this and keep that adrenaline and things like that. And some guys may not even know what they've got and, and have been able to keep it like somewhat suppressed until they get back and, and go to a couple calls. And then all of a sudden now everything's back mm -hmm. and, you know, and then you start to spiral down. And the last thing that you want to do is be at a police department, a fire department and start talking about, man, I think I'm thinking about hurting myself. Right. You know, because with the wrong leadership, that's it. You know, there, there, sometimes there's not a road back from that, which is, I think is terrible. Yeah, I think. Well, go ahead, so, Brad. All right, so here's, so I've been listening to all this, and this is something that's been on my mind, you know, just talking to the girls the other day and, you know, talking to them a little bit yesterday after the funeral. And um, and then situations like that, that goes on in my work, we we seem like I got to jump on the call next week, right? About because all we're having all these injuries, and you know, what are we going to do to prevent the injuries? But everything, especially in this, seems to be so um, reactive, right? Like it's always after everybody has a whole bunch of accidents and a bunch of injuries, and everybody's like, all right, well, what are we going to do about it? When all the drivers and all these people have told them for years and years and years, look, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. This is it's just a lot of reaction. So how do you, now that everybody's talking about it, now that the kids are talking about it, now that it's becoming kind of like a, a, a main focus, you know, whether it be just in the regular media, uh, how do we get the tools to people to uh, be proactive about mental health? You see what I'm saying? Like, well, I think first like every, everybody talks about it after the fact, like, you know, what are we going to do? This is, and I, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about like, you know, what happened last week, you know, people are like, man, what can we have done? What can we have done? And Tony can fill you in on that. And it's like, man, you don't like, I don't know. Like, what do we, how do we start telling people, especially like, do we hit them when they're young, you know, young kids and say, look, you know, in this world today, this is, these are the things that we, these are the tools that we need to, you know, equip you with so that, you know, later on, we don't have to say, man, you know, now, you know, just be, does it make sense of what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. some of that's like generational. And right. I think yeah. that our, it's our dads and granddads would have never thought about telling right. you to seek help. Right. Now, one yeah. of the things with us, and you and I have talked about it, Brad, telling our kids. So I think one of the things that's going to be different is, is that we are somewhat, you know, able to talk about things that weren't talked with us. Right. It's getting, well, I think, and I think, too, like, projects like Brothers Keeper, you're, you're creating a pathway of help. You're, you're showing people, look, this is what happens, and this is where you need to go when that happens, and this is who you need to talk to, and it doesn't matter whether it's PTS or whether it's cancer. Um, I mean, one can be, you know, obviously you can have PTS from cancer, from, the, from all the stuff that goes on with that. Um, given these pathways to treatment and dealing with all this stuff, I think is one of the first steps in prevention so when something does arise and it's recognized, even if it's not the person that has the problem, everybody knows somebody that's, that has, has dealt with this, I would just about bet. So um, the people that are outliers and that are friends and family and that see these signs to a, well, in this documentary or in this, this article I read, this is some of the signs I've seen. So hopefully that will be a step in the line of, um, like you're talking about, catching it from the front side. Yeah. Right. I'll say this, like, I mean, Brad, 
the first step is doing what we're doing, right? I mean, you're advocating, right, right, you're right. getting dialogue started, right? Where it's like, hey, number one, when you have something that's going on, it's not it's not a weakness necessarily. The hardest thing, I'll, I'll give you a good example of this. Like dialogue, I would say is a first step to Corey's point. But I had a buddy of mine call me uh, about three three weeks ago. I've known for 15, 20 years. And we shared similar backgrounds. Plus, he was in some pretty bad areas, um, getting 500-pound bombs dropped on him, trench warfare. I mean, it was he's done some crazy stuff. So he's got a family, great family, two young kids, wife, successful, uh, went into law enforcement after he finished doing everything. And so he called me about three weeks ago, and I found out he was suicidal. He tried to commit suicide last year and didn't go through with it. And he's been in treatment for five years, but I had no clue. I had no clue because he said, dude, I said, are you talking to somebody? He goes, man, I don't want to talk about my feelings, man. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, and, you know, a year ago, if you talked to, told me, like, I need to talk about my feelings or whatever, I'd be like, that's some bullshit. <laughs> and I said, yeah, dude, you got to reframe your brain, number one, for the dialogue. Is the, One of the hardest fights I've ever been in is against myself because it's a formidable adversary, right? I got a strong mind. I can out-trick myself all day long. So that's what I told him. I'm like, you got to reframe your brain that you are fighting the number one, the hardest threat you ever did it, you know, did in your life and make it look like that's your, your opponent. So instead of saying it's a weakness, be like, Hey, you staying alive is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever tried to, to do. And you need to, to attack it head on. And it sounds impossible when you're in, in, in that, in that moment, but that's what made me, that's how I think about things. Cause I'm like, dude, don't be a bitch. You're going to lose to yourself. That's ridiculous. Like, so that's what got me pr started on this whole thing is, you know, that old mentality. And that's how I was raised, man. We didn't talk like my, my old man and I, we didn't sit down and like, you know, we weren't all touchy feely, but that's all right. You still can have the dialogue. And I, I think that's a good thing. You just said too, is like, you know, the stereotype is if you talk to somebody, they're going to say you're being a bitch. Yeah. Right. But you, you just turn it around. Right. You know, which kind of, kind of caught me off guard because it's kind of like you're saying you know don't let your mind beat you don't be a bitch that way does that right. make sense i also like, i like that i yeah. like that whole angle yeah and i think it's it's a boldness you remember one of the things that Devin talked about brad was that you know the two people that really saw her spiraling were a good friend and a teacher that yeah. she both liked and she said for a very long time she hated them now she absolutely right. idolizes them because she knows they got me where I am. That's so I think an, <clears throat> another thing that, that guys have to do is be bold and be willing to possibly cost yourself that short term if you see it. Because that's a, that's a lot of times I might know, I'll see you and say, hey, Chris, you've been a little bit different lately. Well, I want you to mind your business. All right, all right man, you know, because you don't want to cause friendships and this and this. And you, you also have to, there's that fine line between thinking, Darn, is he just pissed at his old lady? You know what I'm saying? Is he is he really having problems or is it something he needs to work out? So it's – but I think that's really getting, you know – and we talked about it a little bit before we started, Chris, but with, with social media, you know, everybody's circle has became so big and you really don't know people. And people will spend hours going through people's social media trying to figure out who's real, who's fake, and this and this, but they won't spend five minutes of going – well, that's a little bit different. Maybe I should call him. No, I'll just rip on him because it looks like he's being yeah. chewed up. Well, and that, well, I mean, 
that's a whole topic, right? Like social media is very dangerous and, um, you know, I can count my friends on my, on my hands. Um, my friends will come out if I call them at three in the morning and I say, Hey dude, I got a problem. They're going to show up at my door, even if they have to fly across the country. And that's the, the, it's the company you keep, you know, that's what should be important. Not how many friends on Facebook you have, because they're not going to be there for you. And to your point, they might even be detrimental to your mental health. If you're right. going through something and you're like, Hey dude, and you post something and somebody's, you know, trolling you, it's only going to make matters worse, make you feel worse. But that's why I, like we talked about earlier, you know, I'm trying to weaponize. I've never been on Facebook. I've never, I don't even know what it looks like. And it sounds absurd anymore. And, uh, or Twitter, I'm on Instagram and, um, I just went public with that this year, um, because of what we're doing. Right. So like I mentioned before, I'm trying to weaponize social media for good. Um, I'm trying to use that platform. It's a, it's a paradox because ultimately what we hope to do is get as many eyeballs on, on the work we're doing. And hopefully I can do a good enough job on this, um, documentary that it can change some people's lives. Cause I, our mission from the beginning is like, I told him, I'm like, dude, if I have to put myself through hell to make this thing, you know, while I'm going through cancer treatments and surgeries, like I'm probably have my lung taken out in a month or two. And, um, you know, it is what it is, dude. It's time well spent. I've been grinding, trying to get this thing done. And the reason, you know, when we set off, I said, dude, if we just save one or two people's lives, like all the money we've spent, we self-funded this up to date, flying around the country, interviewing people and, and subject matter experts, and it'll be totally worthwhile, right? So if I, we've already changed lives through the process of people that we're interviewing, and it's just been very fulfilling for me. It was one of the coolest things and hardest things I've ever done at the same time. So. But books, I think that, but to me, I think what you're doing becomes a living breathing thing that now becomes a domino effect right because i think books are good but but you know you know as well as i do if if Corey's going through something i'm like hey man i really read a book one time and he's like you got it no well <laughs> bish i ain't ordering that book you know what i'm saying i mean but so in, in, i'm gonna be surprised you was able to read it right are you right. talking about, are you talking about <laughs> Are you talking about that book I told you about last week? <laughs> no, I don't. I didn't pay attention to you last week, and I may not pay attention to this week. But <laughs> Dr. Seuss, right. is that really a book? Right. Did. Yeah. You did, too. You did, too, because I sent you videos. Yeah, you did. You did. But, but what I'm saying is, is what you're doing now becomes, and the good thing about it is, is and it's one thing it's terrible to sit here and listen to somebody talk about their own, you know, mortality but but what you're doing now becomes a it's very easy to say if Corey's like i'm not doing real well hey check this out check this documentary out because now it becomes a very accessible item that that most people will i can find something and click on it and watch it and i can start to get a better result than having to wait on a book and this and this and then it's also you know the, I, the books are amazing I, I think they are good but i think that something like this that people can see and they can also look at you, look at other people and hear people. And now it tells them, man, I was there. I was right there. And right. so, and I think what, what you're starting to see, we talked about with Patty, you and everybody else is now you're starting to see a domino effect of it's creating more and more people to create that circle of getting help. Right. So I, I do think the number of the 22 a day or, and, you know, realistically, it's probably a lot higher than that because a lot of people don't, 
you know, there's no way that they, that's probably just a number that they've just divided by years and things like that. Well, people but, that were assigned to the VA where they got the statistics. Right. I mean, it's really hard to right. discern, right? But, hey, um, go ahead. first of all, let me apologize. I thought I had my phone on mute just now. So you probably heard me crank the car up, leave. It. Right. We were talking over you, so it didn't hurt that bad. <laughs> well, because I wasn't talking. Right. So it doesn't matter. Right. I just didn't want the noises and stuff. But I, so here's the other thing. You remember, uh, Tony, um, the other day we were talking to the girls, and, you know, they said that there's a lot of situations to where kids, you know, or adults or who, well, I'll say kids first. They say, you know, they t talk to the parents, and the parents say, well, what do you got to be depressed about? You know what I mean? We're in right. the house. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of times you can do the same thing with, because I, I, I catch myself doing this too, um, because a lot of people like talk to me about their problems or whatever. And if I have a problem, let's say to me, the way that I compare and contrast it, it's let's say level D, right? And then the person that's talking to me, they're at a level A, like it's huge. Like their problem is like, you would never want to imagine yourself going through that problem. Well, then now it's like, well, what am I complaining about? Like right. my problem ain't that dude's problem. There's not like I'm not even no nowhere near as big of a problem. So I just need to shut up. And I think that's part of the problem too. Is right. you know understanding that it doesn't matter the level. Like your level might be somebody else's. A problem's a problem. Right. You know what I mean. And if it's causing you any kind of mental duress or whatever, like you need to just be able to address it instead of saying, well, well, man, this dude over here, like he just, you know, he totaled his car. His dad died. Is you know, uh, that's you know, that's a big deal compared to. Man, you know, like I, I just ain't really enjoying, you know, where I'm at in life right now. Well, with our situation that we've gone through here, there's been times that this past year has been a brutal 18 months Agreed. in this house. Agreed. And and with the transition from everything that we've had to the job, and there's been times that it's been tough, but then I got to look right across the room from me and Brooke to, to put her feet on the floor in the morning is monumental. So there's been times I'm like, do you just got to be quiet? And it does. I think there are times to when you start comparing and that's what social media does because a lot of people use social media. Like my social media is in large part fun, cutting up, having a good time. <laughs> and I don't put, I don't put a lot of serious things on it, but a lot of people's entire existences are on social media and they, right. and they literally try and top the next person with their trauma. What I so, like to say on that is comparison is a thief of joy, right? I, so I've said it a, a, several times. I'll continue to say it. Like there's guys in the fight that uh, I'll give you an example. The reason that I wanted to tell my story is because with my background, I've, I've been a fighter my whole life. Like one, one, one former fashion, right? Between SF, OGA, I did it as a hobby for 20 years, getting punched in the face for fun. And it, it gave me a lot of humility. But the problem is a lot of guys compare themselves to other people. And you can't do that, right? Like people will compare themselves to me. Well, you've been through a lot of stuff, man. You got like stage four and you've had PTS and you've been blown up and shot up. And yeah, so what? Like you can't play that game with the mental health aspect because everybody's brains are different. Their physiology is different. Their experiences. Yeah. And you might not have the preparedness. Like I've been preparing for this my whole life. So things that would maybe rattle someone else don't rattle me. But then there might be things that rattle me that, you know, other people are right. like, what's the big deal, dude? Right. <laughs> it's like, right. what's your problem? Right. Like, you know, um, and I feel like, you know, with me, it's just different because I had a buddy of mine who um, he's an amputee. Great guy, man. He just got accepted to Harvard like two years ago. Hadn't worked for like 10 years after his injury um, in Afghanistan. And he's lost 
so many people when he was a, he was a corpsman. Um, so this cat like was doing heroin and, you know, I had to go look for him in crack houses and he's just a great guy though, man. Like if you were sit down with him when he's sober, you're like, I can't believe this guy is that messed up. And he compared himself to me. Like I said, dude, you know, you were put out of the military because you got your leg blown off. I have all my appendages. I almost lost my leg, but that was cancer. Um, and I almost have like that guilt of like, how did I walk away unscathed from all these different ambushes that I've been through? I've been blown up where if it wasn't for armor, my face would have been outside the other side of the window. And I'm th- looking at him like idolizing this guy going, dude, right. I'm looking at you the way you're looking at me and it's not healthy, dude. You know what I right. mean? Like I'm dealing with my stuff, but you're not. Right. So I need you to go like admit that you have, you know, you're raging alcoholic. Let's start. Right. And you have to treat these things in parallel. But, yeah, you can't compare yourself to somebody else's situation. That game is um, never going to work well for anybody. And I still think you the know? boldness of people finally, and I think that, you know, like I said, you can't, if you see, and, and I think one of the things that, especially that we talked about, Brad, last week and with kids, you know, it's easy with your kids to start seeing differences. You know, why are they all of a sudden in their room all the time? You know, why are why is their behavior different? And, you know, and, but as parents, you're thinking, ah, they're just kind of growing. You're just, you know, and that's what we kind of went through. You're like, ah, maybe, you know, and I think we do that too. We're like, well, I mean, maybe just going through a tough time. And, and I think what we're all doing is on every level is we need to stop waiting. You know, I mean, the minute it's almost like they talked about the terrorism thing. You see something, say something. I mean, and it might be just as something, you know, it very simple. You see behavior different in a friend. Sometimes just saying, man, you Okay. If it's if it's not a big deal, let's talk about it. If it's a big deal, let's talk about it. And he might say, no, but at least you planted the seed that somebody's going to listen to him. And I think that we have got to get past the point of, like you said, comparing and saying, well, it can't be that bad. The dude's got great marriage. I look at his Facebook. He's super happy. He's doing this. They're going on vacation. You know, and, and, and so a lot of times that we ignore signs and indicators because we're so scared to be that person that'll cost ourselves a friendship. I think Let me ask you this. Let's go, let's go real, let's go real, real world scenario, right? Because right. I don't have all the answers. So let's see if y'all can help me out with this one. So I have a, this is true. This is a true story. I'm not going to name any names. I have a friend, you know, I've, I was friends with him since, um, and I've been struggling with this, but I've, I've been friends with him since we were kids, like young kids, elementary school. Uh, we were friends all up through high school. He, he went into the military. Um, came home uh, over the past several years, you know, he's been having issues. Now you'll see him post on uh, social media and it'll be like a, like a scary kind of post. Right. And you're like, dang, you know, I'm wondering about, I worry about him. And then like the very next day, it'll be a post and everything's good. And then a couple of days later, it'll be a horrible post. And it's like, man, like what's, you know, what's going on? I know he has some physical issues too. And then the very next day it's like, you know, I'm back at it. You know what I mean, y'all? You know, I appreciate the, the, the outlets. We're getting ready to conquer this, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And he's, he's right on it. And then a couple of weeks later, it's like another post. And I'm thinking, you know, should I be one of the people that reach out? Or is this a pat? I, I don't know. Yeah, like, but I, it, I, I know that sounds like an asshole thing that I, I should, I no, should I think... just be like picking up the phone every time and saying, man, are you okay? But yeah. I can't tell. If you're you asking I mean? that question, you probably should. Right. Like, yeah. so one of the, the, the things is you're going to see a lot of indic- indicators, right? So like 
warning symptoms and signs. Like I was drinking a fifth a day and nobody could tell physically. I look, I mean, I keep my body fats below 10%, you know, and because I was training all the time to, 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 to try to combat things. So in the evenings, you'll see dudes get really low because one, one thing is support networks. If people don't have good support networks, what we've seen going through the documentary, the guys that have done well, I have one friend of mine who did 25 years um, in the military and 17 years in 5th Special Forces Group, you know, which is, and he deployed nine, uh, I think he had nine 11-month deployments or maybe I have them backwards. But anyway, a lot, a lot. And um, his social network, he was in the same group all the time. So he had a, fi a fixed support system. And this, you know, I don't know about this individual, but for me, when I was going through my stuff, I was alone. I was by myself. My friends were all over the, the country. They're not next door. I don't, my, and when you get isolated, um, you start drinking. That's another indicator. You know, substance abuse is very common. So if you're asking the question, though, I think that's when you want to check in. And uh, that's what my, my buddy would do. You know, I'd text him. I'd be like, hey, bro, you, you've been a great friend, like past tense. And he'd be like, what the fuck, dude? So then he'd blow my phone up, and sometimes I wouldn't answer. And then he would call my you know, wife or whoever I was with and try to track me down. And if it wasn't for him, yeah, it would have been game over. But, you know, same thing, well, he Brad. Seems like, he seems like he has a lot of you know, support, you know what I mean? And, but, um, but the same way Chris but reached out in a past tense, his Facebook constantly changing could be like – because that's, that's certain people's going. way of doing it. And it could be saying, I hope somebody notices – this broad well, I see difference in me. Just now. I just now sent right. a message. Right. So we'll see. And I think also you talked about it is, you know, where you were and where this is, you're almost like a functioning alcoholic around people. Oh, yeah. What you got to get done, you can get done. And it's like when you're, when you get that isolation, is when you pour the wrong things to the coals, which exasperates every bit of it. And it's almost like, Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm going to be around this tomorrow. I can get by. But like you said, most of that fifth was in the evening. Right. And that's when those demons really, really show up is because then it's just you. Yeah, for me, it was like, um, so like in 2010, my buddy, like, like I said, he passed away. Um, he was the CEO of my company. He was my next door neighbor. His wife was nine months pregnant. I had to tell his wife at 6, 6 a.m. that, you know, hey, your husband's dead. I didn't even have to say the words. I just walked in and it was <laughs> you want to talk about levels of trauma right so he had two daughters already and i went through that and then had the brief work and to have a smile on my face five minutes later right but there was all these different factors it was just like one thing after another so what what i would typically do is i would drink that's when i started drinking real heavy like you know but I started getting anxiety really bad to the point where I didn't want to be. And so like the only time I, it got to a point where I would just be in my house by myself and I still have anxiety. It started with groups of people. Then it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And, um, to a point where it's so debilitating that I had to take like anything. And what that, when you're taking substances, whether it's drugs or alcohol, it's just a temporary fix. And it normally catches a lot of guys or gals. Um, you know, you usually do something, you know, you'll start driving or whatever. And then, you know, you'll have an instance, you'll get in trouble with the law or whatever. I never had that problem because I was, res I was a responsible alcoholic right. drug addict <laughs> at the time. Right. And cause you know, I was like, Hey, I, the reason I did it was just to sleep. So I was on 
you know, uh, sleeping medication for two years, like Ambien and all those types of things, right. Valium, and and it did nothing. All it did is numb enough where I could actually get a couple hours of sleep, then I go right but back to work. But then it's worse because you're up at two. It's way worse. Yeah. Right. Because then you, you get addiction issues on top of everything else where it gets harder to stop. And um, that's a cycle you don't want to start, you know. So I think, to your point, I think uh, Brad might have brought it up, but things you can do, one, the dialogue that we're doing. Two, I think if you're in a leadership position, whether that you're the head of the household or, what you know, it could be as simple as that, you know, you're a parent um, or maybe you have, you're in a leadership role at work. If you have an incident, you do an AAR after action report of some kind and you start, you know, if there's something crazy that had happened, you want to start dealing with that early and some people might not even have a problem you know and um you know okay cool at least we 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 did what we could do and um you know i think those types of things are a way to kind of get get after it before it happens and i think the third thing is if you're going to go into a profession that is a high prevalence of this just understand that it's probably going to be a factor at some point it might crop its head up might not end your career, might not get as extreme as some of the things that I've been through. Hopefully not. But, you know, you just if you go into a position with that mindset, I think you're more apt to do something sooner rather than later. Right. Because, look, you know, some of the – you look at Tier 1. Everybody has issues. I know a ton of Tier 1 guys, um, you know, like SEAL Team 6, CAG. They're doing crazy stuff at a high frequency all the time. And – at some point you got to put the Ferrari back in the garage and, 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 and like anything else, you got to like take care of yourself. And it's just one more factor. Trauma is trauma. And I think right. one of the things that we all, that we had to start doing with this dialogue is stop categorizing pain. Because like you said, if I just look at it and say, what's the matter with that dude? He just lost his job. You know, that's not near, but if that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, you know, you compare it to law enforcement, fire services, like, to us, we see everything like for Corey, there were they could they could burn a pot of spaghetti. You know what I'm saying? And that's traumatic. Like if they don't get the armor on the tires right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a giant deal. Yeah. You know, and, and if if a guy sees that, stop saying about how bad the tires are, because yeah. that could traumatize Smell him. Bad. Right. Yeah. It, it, you know, as a fireman, it's different degrees of it. So he burns water anyway. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I do think that that the dialogue and, and everybody stop stigmatizing it and saying that I mean, that's how they're supposed to feel or, but I like the big thing, Brad is, is, you know, and like you just said, Chris, if, if, if there's enough that makes you pause, then there's a, then there should be enough to make you act. If you have somebody in your life that you're seeing anything different and it makes you go, is he okay? Then don't assume they're okay. Right. Because, you know, like I said, you could be you could be somebody I work with, a neighbor, or or an acquaintance. But I don't I don't know your past because your circle is only going to know that. You know, if we live beside each other, I'm gonna I'm gonna know limitations of that. Or I might have somebody that could be a really good friend of mine, but I do not know all he has stored up inside relationship, family, everything. But if I do see him and know him, and I'm starting to see some differences, broach the subject. You know, and I, th I think that's the whole key to everything is giving somebody the ability to know at least somebody wants to talk to me about something. Yeah, and I think the other yeah. thing, you, you, you got to be like uh, my, my the, when I went through the whole situation, I only told one person. So when I started doing this documentary, my family's like, what? 
<laughs> they're like this guy. Like, there's a lot of layers that you know they're they're coming to realize when I put this thing out. They're all going to be like, "What the heck, man? Like, you never talked to me." Well, they weren't the right people for me to talk to. Right. You know. Um, so I only had one guy, and that dude never gave up on me. So that's the other thing. If you're going to reach out to people, you know how people post those. Uh, it's almost cliche. It's like, "Hey, buddy, check." You know. I'll right. see it on Instagram in my circles of like, check your buddy. Well, it sounds cool, but when what they mean by that is actually give a shit of what you know, what's on the other line. So like my buddy would, you know, he would he he knew me so well. I've known him almost 26, 28 years. I mean, he would just grill me. And be, he wouldn't hang up. It could be two in the morning. He's got four kids. He's got a job. Right. But there's a lot of situations where dudes are like, hey bro, what's up? And you're like, oh, not much, man. You got a sec. It's like, well, I got to get up early, man. Like, you got to know somebody right. enough, well enough to be like, hey, if the guy's reaching out, right. just stay on the phone with him a little bit right. and figure out really what's up. Right. Don't worry about your 6 Do I need to get in the car while we're talking? Yeah, Do I like, need to take this next level? And, you know, that's what was that guilt of wearing my buddy out for 12 years was led me to kind of also get help in addition to the, be the freedom of, you know, my diagnosis. But... I was like, dude, I'm wearing this cat out, man. Like, and he always, to this day, is like, bro, that's what I'm here for, man. Or that's why we're. He has not. Friends, he man. has not like, seen worn out. I guarantee <laughs> you, he doesn't. I, and he's he not just lying care, about man. it. He's no. not just lying. He's not. When you said you, I wore you out. He's like, no, you didn't, man. But those it's Facebook not even close. friends, man. They ain't gonna be. <laughs> they're right. gonna be like, dude, I'm signing right. off. So. Right, logging out. <laughs> yeah. So what were you gonna say, Brad? No, I was just saying that was the whole thing when he was talking about you got to know somebody. Like, you know, like the guy that I reached out to just a minute ago. Like, after high school, you know, we really didn't talk. Like, I don't know what – I know a couple of things about his life. I just remember him from growing up with him. You know what I mean? So it's right. kind of like – I don't know. Because you don't know you – know, I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know what he's been through. I don't know things that he's done or has been done to him. So I care enough about him to where I want to make sure he's okay. But I'm still going to be cautious on my own too. You know what I mean? Without – Yeah. And we also don't have to look at it like everything is worst case scenario, Brad. Our, you know, you and I, you'll call and be like, I just, I need to say something. And I'm just, and it's just 30 minutes of you just venting about a whole lot of topics. And it's not like you either said it, or you were going to drive into a, a bridge embankment, but sometimes it's just, right. it's just, just being able all. to say, look, I got to vent for a few minutes and be in that person. So it's not always fatalistic or worst case scenarios but sometimes somebody's quality of life by just having somebody listen can right. really change where they are yeah. so but well, now back to that for preventative maintenance he was yeah. speaking of before you know? all right, right so so let's go talk about you know timeline documentary where it's at what what do you anticipate platforms things like that yeah so we started off you know obviously this is more of an independent film we've been doing it um we started about February time frame. January we started talking in January. February we actually started filming. It just went. We're we were totally outrunning our headlights. Like we had more opportunity than we could handle, um, and largely that was because we're self funded. So um, we've been filming since that point. We've got about eighty five percent of the film aspect done. We just got to do the, the remaining fifteen percent. Like I want to film some of my surgeries coming up. My uh, lung uh, removal, <laughs> my lower right lobe. It's got to go. Um, so there's some B-roll footage we, we got to knock out. So we're at the point where we're going to start fundraising. We're also setting up a uh, – and that, that fundraising is going to be to complete the rest of the documentary. That's the post work. That's where it takes a lot of people um, a lot of time to edit, to do the sound work, all that good stuff. 
So I would, um, we're anticipating it's going to be the first quarter of next year is when we're, when we're going to go live with it. So, you know, it's all um, predicated on, uh, you know, funding. So we're setting up um, in the process of finalizing a 501c3 uh, uh, nonprofit. And the purpose is really twofold. One, it's going to be a mechanism for, you know, businesses and things like that to help us on the fundraising effort for the re remaining part to raise awareness for veteran suicide as well as destigmatizing and providing resources. But on the back end, I wanted something for legacy. I never had biological children of my own. We're raising a great 18-year-old, uh, my stepson, uh, Gavin, but I never had biological children, so I really wanted to keep doing good work past me. So I think my time's probably, you know, um, I don't have a lot of time left, so I'm trying to utilize it well. And that, um, Nonprofit, we're just assigning board members now. I think I've got four out of five um, on uh, done, and um, yeah. So what we're essentially going to do with the nonprofit is all the money that we raise, we're actually going to uh, go five hundred one three to five hundred one three to um, other either for profit or nonprofit businesses that are actually doing true work for right. veterans that are struggling. Right. So I want that to be, you know, I'm kind of. Uh, copying a little bit emulating journey home uh, Charlie Daniels journey home uh, model they take in money and they they have a team a team of partners right. and so we've been vetting them we've been flying around uh, Warriors Heart in Bandera Texas uh, was one of the first that we went out to great organization 600 acres 150 employees so we're talking to these you know I spent 12 hours there with all three uh, founders um, Tom Spooner Lisa Landon and Josh Landon and organizations like that that are actually truly doing great work for veterans, I want to see where the money is actually being put to use. Um, and that's what I've been really passionate about are those two things, getting the documentary done and the, and the charity. Um, so all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, all those are My Brother's Keeper? Is that what it? Yeah, so right now, um, you know, as far as social media, we have a, a, our landing page for donors or just, you know, what you want to be involved is wearebrotherskeeper.com and that's brothers with an s so that's our uh, landing page for the documentary um still working on our social media for the nonprofit because the lawyers just got that finalized yeah. last week so that'll be coming um and um my social media is chris underscore cathers at instagram.com so they're the two platforms currently that you can you know follow to get all the uh things that are coming downstream so and i'll get we'll get brad i'll get him to text those to you so when you put it up later on that we'll have those in there all the links and everything in it so that way people yeah, can go sure. to it so we'll, we'll do that when we get to it and like i said we what we're doing now is just a multi-part on kind of peeling the layers back on getting people help and last week was kind of the starting point with the the girls that came on we're in the process now of trying to look for some young men and it's harder to find young teenagers and boys that have that are going to acknowledge they had a problem because they're so much more vulnerable it goes to what we talked about so you know it's girls are able to open up more about stuff and 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 the what these girls talked about last week was really some of the bravest stuff that i've seen so we're we're in the process and it's going to be a multi layered thing so and then like i said and i will get with you later on because i'd really like to do and brad and i have talked about it is that you know the good and evils of social media it's got some i mean <laughs> there's, it, there's more evil now than yeah good, there's times right? it just it 
you know, you just get yeah. furious looking at it. But yeah. but this is an example to where it is a great, and like you said, weaponizing to good because this is going to put something in somebody's hands that's immediately accessible. Yeah. It's so much easier to find than a book and things like that. And it's easy for somebody else to share, say, hey, look, man, I'm going to send you a, a, a like this page. You need to go in there and start looking at this. And sometimes that could be the starting point. And then that causes they see that, and then they reach out like your buddy did to you, and somebody could see it and say, damn, I got a buddy that I know is going through this. Hey, I want to talk. We're not getting off the phone. So, you know, there's a lot of, of things that will come out of it that are going to be huge. So, and I, like I said, man, I, it was, it was a, you know, it was 2019. It was when we went all down at Darren, we were talking about the company growing and we met. Dude, it was literally like that next week mm-hmm. when you went home because we were all down there and went out to eat and we're talking about where direction he was going to take it. And Corey called me that next week and said, and I was like, I said, man, how's Chris? He said, man, he just got diagnosed with this. And I was like, holy crap, man. Did he tell you that was still sexy, though? Yeah. I'm keeping stage. I'm going to get shirts made that stage four. Yeah, like, he was keeping we, stage we, four sexy well, shirts. We were, you know we were I mean? in Italy and he kept saying, man, my leg is hurt. And I'm like, man, you're such a bitch. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> like before that week, he yeah. he'd always talk about. Yeah, he was always talking about get your tattoo on his arm, but <laughs> picture your face on his arm. But then he said, he said, man, with what he's gone through and making it, I'm going to put it on my lower back besides some of that other stuff. So I, right, right. So I thought that was skank flank. Right. It was still pretty cool. Still pretty cool. But like I said, Brad, you got anything else? Nah, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to take it all in. You know what I mean? I'm just as much of uh, a student trying to learn stuff as I am, you know, trying to give people guidance too. So, you know what I mean? I try to listen and try to learn and, I like having conversations with people that know a little bit more about things than I do. Well, what's, you know what I mean? So I'm really appreciative of it. Yeah. What's crazy, Brad is like, you know, I've been doing this for shoot almost, what time I know a month it is going into eight. So yeah, about eight months, just talking to SMEs every day and doing research. What's weird. We talked about a little bit before we started, but it is like, there's no shame there because the more I start to learn, the more less that I think I know. Right. There's like so many right. different tools. Like people are like, Hey man, do you hear about like psilocybin, you know, and how that could be a benefit or ketamine or, I mean, there's so many different options of treatment and modalities and there's not a one size fits all for a treatment per se. But for me, I never really want to do medication. I was like, dude, I'm not doing meds, man. Right. Because I don't, I, I like my, my anxiety and my stress makes me perform. It's weird. So I didn't want to be like a zombie, but I finally got medicated like uh, about a year and a half ago when I started this. I said, all right, fine, dude. Like I was worried about sexual side effects, all these things that guys worry about. And dude, it was one of the cool, like after the second week when, when, when it kicked in, it like leveled me out where I, my lows, I didn't have the lows anymore. For me, it was a good experience. You know, you got to be careful. You don't want to over medicate. And the other thing is it's just temporary. You know, the goal is not to be on meds for the rest of your life. The goal is, you're going to be on probably a minimum of a year. But after that point, there's there's a lot. Most people, you can get back off of it. You can get, you know, well again. You might not be 100%, but you'll be like 90. So, yeah, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, because I know we're wrapping up. It's like, hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You got to put the time in. You got to commit. 
and you got to be open-minded to different treatment options and also potential failures through the process. That's what the girls talked about, and that was one of the bravest things. They all talked about the fact that, and their parents were responsible and said, look, we're going to start low and we're going to find doses, and, and it's not just going to be pouring the medication to it, but all the girls talked about it that, that they, they're only where they are is because they got that initial balance that took the bad lows away. Right. So, and, I, and you know, and I, like what? I said, I, in my first marriage, it was years and years and years of battling depression. And it was. You got to have, you got to be like in different modalities. It's not meds won't fix. So I just want to be clear. I'm an anti-med guy when it comes to like most things. I think we over prescribe most things to people. I'm more of a physical I'm big into nutrition. I'm big into diet and exercise. Like that's your principal way for physical and mental health. But there's a lot of cases, especially with PTS, where you, when you're having these crazy lows, that might be your best option, you know, to start while, but you have to go, you know, into treatment and take other modalities in addition to get wean off of them. The meds is not the fix. Right. It's same as drinking, right? That's right. It's just a temporary fix to keep you stable enough to concentrate on the task at hand. And they talked so about that specifically too. Right. They specifically talked about that, which I think was important because there's a lot of people that that, that hesitancy and that, that thinking, oh man, I don't want to be that person. But there are people that, that with, and Devin even mentioned it, she said, I have a chemical imbalance that makes it difficult for me to deal. Now, where she's at in school and she's in a very difficult program at school to where she acknowledges, I'm just not at that point where I can do it without it yet. You know, and, and that's okay. She knows that it's not, she doesn't want this to be the rest of her life, but she just knows the challenges she has right now and still what she's facing, that's still something that she's that she's understanding is the temporary part that's of that. That's good. She's very aware. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's good. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up, Brad. You got anything else? No, I just, I think everybody listening needs to understand that, you know, not everybody's like you. Everybody's different. You have to learn how to listen to people and look for things. You know what I mean? I'm right. used to the people that, reach out to me specifically right that's what i know you know i know so if they reach out to me i know there's a problem right and you know now i'm trying to figure out and try to pick up on cues and help you know doesn't I mean? like equal weakness asking for help is not weak it is not weak at all no it's not it's not but it, it, like you said you got to look out so i'm trying to i'm trying to look i'm trying to look and pick up cues on people you know more often now than i ever have as far as like well, i ain't worried about it if they need me they'll reach out and right. some people just aren't right you know what i mean that's why i pose the question about you know, my boy like is there certain things i need to be picking up on but you know it also goes back to what you said during kobe's funeral check on your people and i think that we yeah. the first thing that we need to do as kind of men is 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 tighten our circle up because if you try and have a thousand people in your circle you can't check on anybody mm -hmm. but if you got a good core five to ten guys in your circle that you know I hadn't talked to him in a week, and I normally talk to him three or four days a week. I'm going to call him. And don't just say, I'll, I'm supposed to see him next week. No, because next week could be too late. I mean, because, you know, you it could be minor, but it could also be ten things. You know, your situation is not what else you dealt with, Chris, but then you throw something, a medical thing on top of it. So you, you don't know what people are going through. Well, that was the big thing with Colby, too, is why I said that, is Colby was the type of person that, you know, most people will check on you when things are going bad. Right. You see what I'm saying? Colby was not that dude. Right. Like, Colby checked on you when everything was going good. He would just right. show up at your house. He was the most conscious <laughs> dude about checking yeah, on yeah, your people. You could be in the best, having the best day of your life, and here he comes popping up. Right. Not because he heard something was going on, just because. 
and it, always just check on you. And, just if, check on you. and now that we've, after the fact, we've realized that, that why so many people went to Kobe so often is because uh -huh. he proved he was there when things were good and he'd be there when they're bad. If yep. you're only that person that only calls on somebody when they think it's bad, you can't, you're not trustworthy. Right. You know, so oh, yeah. I think that's he a big thing there. too. Right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. all right, Chris, thank you for coming, yeah. man. I really appreciate it. Brad, thank you, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah, all dude, right. I'm just, I hope I wasn't too noisy for you. Nah, man, not at all. Just at one time. <laughs> I got to make a dollar cut. Just that one time when it was dollar. horrible. It was horrible. But we'll see what we can do about it. Be careful. All right, dude. All right. All right. Yes, thanks, thanks, Corey. Appreciate, appreciate you. Appreciate it.